I sing our national anthem, put my hand over my heart, or say, I pledge allegiance, I know that a higher authority established the lesser authority. So I have no conflict, and I know there are some people, I have friends that will not say the pledge or sing the Star Spangled Banner, but I can't find any way to justify that in Scripture. I, I love being a patriot. This morning, one of the young men in our church came to me and asked me about my son who's in the Army and then told me he served in the Army. And aren't we grateful for everyone that has served in our armed services or police forces or Air Force, whatever, fire departments? So I, I love patriotism. I can't help it, you know. we got an American flag flying on the front of our house. Becky let me, they'd be a Georgia Bulldog flag on the front of the house too, you know, they just go together. There should have been a big amen right there. Somebody said one time, says, you know you're a real patriot. You know you're a real patriot if you get a, if you get a parking ticket because then you know the system works. And there are times when I've gotten a parking, well, Let's just be honest. I got a parking ticket because somebody else drove my car. I won't say who. Drove my car and parked it in a handicapped parking space. I got a ticket. I thought, I've never parked in a handicapped parking space. So I called the person and says, did you park in a handicapped parking space? Well, I didn't know it when I parked there. So the system worked. God bless America. <laughs> You know, sometimes we have to pay. So when April the 15th comes around, tax time comes, we pay Uncle Sam. We pay our state taxes, federal taxes. Jesus tells a very interesting story that you're all familiar with. And most people never, ever even refer to it until it's tax time. But I, I kind of want to set you up for the story. Because in this story, the Sanhedrin have already tried to confront Jesus one time because they despised him. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council. And Jesus just, you know, in his own polite way and kind and loving way, Jesus burnt their britches, so to speak. You could smell their bacon all the way to the eastern gates. And so the next time, they decided to send somebody else to do their bidding. And there's a leadership principle. There are times where people, they don't want to get involved, but they'll get you worked up to get you to get involved. They're manipulating you. So there's a leadership principle there. And the Sanhedrin got two of the most unlikely groups of people together that you could ever dream. Got the Pharisees and the Herodians together. Now, the Pharisees were loved by the common people, the average working people like you and me. The Herodians were loved by the wealthy people and the people of power because they catered to the Roman government who helped them to stay in power and to maintain their wealth. So you find even the high priest in the Gospels catering to the Roman government. If you really want to get a picture of it, it would be like getting the most rabid Bernie Sanders fans and the most rabid Donald Trump fans in the same room and they're agreed on a common enemy. I mean, if, that, if that's, that's how you can look at this. I mean, you couldn't be any further apart, politically speaking, than the president and Bernie Sanders. And the Pharisees and the Herodians couldn't be any further apart from one another than Donald Trump's fans and Bernie Sanders' fans. So they come to Jesus and they flatter him. The Bible says in Proverbs 29.5 that when you flatter somebody, you're laying a trap for their feet. You see, you can compliment somebody without flattering them. You know, I can say this morning, Norma, you look good this morning. That's a compliment. Look great. I might look at you, Tony, and say, Tony, you're looking well today. And I do hope, what, Tony, are you 95? 
94. I was almost right. I hope I'm looking half as good as you when you get, I get 94. You see, that's a compliment. And if you've ever been, that, this man can work. Oh, my goodness. But when you compliment somebody, you're not trying to get anything from them. But when you flatter somebody, you're trying to manipulate their feelings. You're trying to manipulate them. The book of Proverbs is real clear that most adultery begins with flattery. Did you know that? Most adultery begins with flattery. It's just very clear about that. Everybody likes to be complimented. I like to be complimented. But you have to have this discernment of when you know you're being flattered. And so these two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come to Jesus and they're trying to trap him. So I want you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together out of respect for his Word. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees. This was the Sanhedrin I was talking about. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Now watch the flattery. Teacher, we know how honest you are. Can't you almost hear the hiss of the devil there? Psst, we know how honest you are. Teacher, you are impartial and you don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. And you don't know what? All of this was true. All of this was true. It's the difference between a compliment and a flatterer. Now, tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Well, Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and says, why are you trying to trap me? In other words, what Proverbs 29, 5, why are you trying to lay a snare for my feet? Show me a Roman coin. It was a denarius. Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. And when they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stepped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And his reply completely amazed them. Father, I don't expect to amaze anybody this morning. But my prayer is that your Holy Spirit will make the good news of Jesus Christ amazing to all of us. I pray that this morning that your Spirit will work through the songs, the giving, the listening to the Word and our fellowship afterwards that will make us amazed at this great God that we serve who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ his Son. And Lord, I pray finally this morning that we will be amazed that this republic which was built upon the foundations of your word, however imperfectly, you are still mending flaws in America today. I pray that we'll be amazed at the freedoms that we enjoy together in the United States. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, give the Lord one more hand of praise. I am just so thankful for His presence. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Well, the coin that Jesus asked for was a denarius. And the Jews hated this coin. And the reason they hated the coin is, is because on this denarius coin, it's just simply said that Caesar was a god, that Caesar was God. It said he was divine. On our coins and on our paper money, we have in God we trust. And so for the Jews, they hated even handling this money, having to use this money, but it was what the Roman government required of them. And so when they handled this money, they were handling something that in their eyes was profane and was wrong and that they really didn't want to hold at all. It also, interestingly, when Jesus asked for this money, it was the average day's pay or the average day's wage for the common man. So you think of whatever your average day wage is. When Jesus asked for denarius, somebody produced quite a bit of money. They produced a day's pay to put into Jesus' hand. I was talking to one of our students just recently who is a waiter at a restaurant, or excuse me, a server at a restaurant, and he was telling me about 
the different days and the different types of meals that servers like to serve at and because of the tips they get and how little they earn by the hour, but what their tips mean. So please remember that. If you go out today or this week, always be generous to your server. Can you say amen? Always be generous to them. Always. So Jesus just, he says, give me, just give me this coin. And again, it was that hated coin. And remember, Jesus takes that coin into his very holy hands, the very hands of God. And he says to them, whose image is upon this. And when they say Caesar's, Jesus makes that incredible statement. Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, the lesser authority. And give to God's what is God's, the higher authority. And I want to look at that this morning as implications for us is much more than paying our taxes. The first thing I'd like to say is to every one of us, God calls us to be good citizens in whatever country we live in. But in particular, we're talking about the United States today. God calls us to be good citizens. The Jewish people are oftentimes exiled to countries where they didn't have it very well at all, and yet God called them to be good citizens. And you've got to remember the Roman Empire and all the other empires of that day were unlike the countries and the nations that we live in today because the leaders or the dictators or the rulers wanted to be worshipped as God. Caesar thought he was God. Pharaoh thought he was God. There were many others. Nebuchadnezzar, you remember the story. He sets up a statue and says, worship this statue as an image of himself that he wanted people to worship. And so they lived in a nation and in a country that was corrupt and yet so much good happened as a result of that country. The Roman government did a lot of good things. And I'll be honest with you, no matter how much you might dislike the Roman Empire, there are a lot of things that I'm grateful for the Roman Empire for. They're the ones that built the water systems, that brought water to many of the arid parts of the Middle East. And those aqueducts are still working today. It's kind of like a Christian. Did you know that? I have been to those aqueducts that are still working. I've gotten water from those aqueducts. I have showered from water from those aqueducts. Those aqueducts are still working. And here's what the archaeologists that I was working with and studying with told me, he says, as long as the water is flowing through the aqueduct, it will always work. But wherever the water is shut off, then the aqueduct begins to crack and it leaks and then it's no longer good for anything. It's kind of like a Christian's life. As long as the river of God is flowing through us, we are good for the kingdom. But if we shut off the flow of the Spirit, somehow or another we begin to dry up and then we crack up. And the wise will listen and take that home. Anyway, no matter how much you might dislike this Roman Empire, they built the roads. And it was the roads that the apostles in the early church used to take the gospel to the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire. And so there was a lot of good that the Roman government accomplished. They bought order. They bought peace in many places. And yet it was this very same government that was persecuting Christians, burning Christians, torturing Christians. It was Nero whom John, when he was writing the Revelation, it was Nero who was burning Christians at the stake. And because they would sing their praises to the Lord, he would sew their lips shut so that they couldn't sing praises. It was Nero who hunted down Christians and yet, these Roman Christians wrote Paul a letter and they asked him a question and I'd like you to look at that with me. Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Now obviously they're asking a question. How do we get on with this government that's persecuting us? Do you want to be on good terms with the government? Be a responsible citizen and you'll get on just fine. The government working to your advantage but if you're breaking the rules right and left, watch out. The police aren't there just to be admired in their uniforms. God also has an interest in keeping order. And he uses them to do it. Now circle that word order, or circle the phrase keeping order. That's an important phrase. God has an interest in keeping order. He uses them to do it. That's why you must live, say it with me, responsibly. Would you say that word again? Respon- one more time. Responsibly. Irresponsible Christian is an oxymoron. We are to be responsible Christians. Can you say amen to that? So live responsibly, not just to avoid punishment, but because it's also the right way to live. That's also why you pay taxes, so that an orderly way of life can be maintained. Circle that word orderly there in your outline. Fulfill your obligation as a citizen. Pay your taxes. Pay your bills. And respect your leaders. Now, friends, what God is saying there is whether you agree with the government or not, whether you like the government or not, 
This government that is persecuting you and haunting you, this government that is corruptly killing Christians, and by the way, they killed anybody else that wouldn't say that Caesar was Lord. It wasn't just the Christians. God says, respect this government. It's why I have real struggles with people sometimes who say, and I've talked with these people, I've even met with some of these groups who are anarchal in nature, and I've been asked sometimes to speak to them, and most of the time it's just a small group of people that somebody has sowed a thought in their mind and said, well, we can't support abortion, and we can't support this, so it's, it's the government is sponsoring this thing, so we shouldn't pay our taxes. Paul is saying right here, even though the government may do some corrupt things, even though the government may do some foolish things, you are supposed to pay your taxes and be a responsible citizen. Jesus did not take the logic of the anarchist of this government that would put him to death. Jesus did not taste the logic of the anarchists like Judas, who hated, the, not Judas of the New Testament, but Judas who hated the denarius so much that he called every Jew a coward who would even handle the denarius. Judas hated the government so much he led a rebellion against the Roman government. Jesus didn't use that sort of logic because the higher authority establishes the lesser authority. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is important for us to consider as the body of Christ and as Christian citizens in a nation, God will always give people, according to the word, leaders after their own hearts. Always give a nation leaders after their own hearts. And so when we look at our leaders, we have to ask ourselves sometimes, what is the heart of their nations? I am not culpable. I am not, nor are you culpable for how the government spends our tax money. I am, as a Christian, culpable by whether or not I speak out for justice and injustice. I am culpable as a Christian of whether or not I speak the truth to power or I stay silent in the face of power. I am responsible as a Christian to speak out against evil and immorality. You are responsible as a Christian to do that. But we are not responsible or culpable for how our government chooses to spend the money, but we have the blessing in the United States that so many people in Cuba or Venezuela or Sudan or Somalia or Iraq or Saudi Arabia do not have, we get to make our voices known sometimes quietly and sometimes very loudly as well. And that comes to us as a gift of Old Testament law that our Constitution was founded upon. The blessing of democracy is simply this, I have a voice in how our country does business and how our country spends the money that it taxes us for. Number two, I'm called upon to respect the government's sphere of authority. I am called upon, and you are called upon, to respect the government's sphere of authority. Now, I, I have drawn this out before. I've showed it on the screen before, but just for the sake of review, remember, if you use a triangle, I think a triangle best demonstrates this, you have three spheres of government in the world. You have what God created first, the family. And then on the bottom corners of the triangle, on an equal level, on an equal level, say that with me, equal level, one more time, equal level, you have the church, I'll use the right-hand side, and you have the government. And neither of those are to trespass on the other's authority. As a pastor, I cannot trespass upon the authority of the husband or the father of a home. Now, if the father or the husband of that home is abusing his children or abusing his wife, then I have the authority to speak in and address that. I have the authority to call the law, as I have done several times in my ministry, and to get involved. I have the authority as a pastor. You have the authority as a fellow believer. If a husband is not supporting his family, taking care of his family, and he's living irresponsibly, perhaps gambling his money away, or drinking his money away, or being unfaithful to his family, I have the responsibility to go and confront him with that. You see, if you want to use the Olympic rings, the family, the church, and the government have overlapping spheres of authority. And those authorities are legitimate even when they're exercised poorly, not because of our laws in America, but because God gave us those spheres of authority. And the more that government tries to take away 
authority from the Word of God, the sooner the government will head towards anarchy. And the more the church tries to be a theonomy in a democracy, the more churches will head towards a place of anarchy. And if a family decides, I don't need the government or I don't need the church, I can worship Jesus just as good on my couch, you're calling God a liar, and you're also denying your responsibility to live responsible as a citizen of this country. God needs us to recognize one another's authority and live responsibly as husbands and wives, live responsibly as Christians, and live responsibly as citizens of this great nation that we live in. Now, I didn't expect to get shouted down right there, but that's a good time to give the Lord a hand of praise. I oftentimes say, if you're looking for a perfect church, this ain't it. And if you find it, please don't go because you're going to mess it all up. But can I tell you something else? This ain't a perfect country. It's the reason when we sing that song, God mend thy every flaw. I got a call this week from a young man who knew what I was going to be preaching upon and asked me to some questions. And I said, you know, this is the way that you judge history. I said, you judge history not by the decisions people made. You judged history by the direction they were going. And though this country was founded by imperfect people, they were trying to go in the right direction. And for over 200 years, this country was moving in the right direction. Even when it came time to pay for some of the mistakes of our nation with the most costly war in human life ever fought upon this very land that we hold and we treasure so dear. We were moving in the right direction, which calls me to say that nations and governments are God's gift to us. It's a gift to live in a land where law and order is respected. I have ministered and preached and lived in those countries where law and order is disrespected. There is a book that the, that the Sunday Detroit, uh, uh, Detroit News carries an article on about some of the horrific crimes that have happened and the dangerous zip codes inside the city of Detroit that we live so close to. One of the zip codes, the last number the police refer to it as die, according to the newspaper this morning, because of the violence that is there. When law in order is not respected. Families are in danger. People in danger. Churches are in danger. Mosques are in danger. Synagogues are in danger. Schools are in danger. Babies are endangered. And there's nothing more horrifying to a police officer as they have told me than when you arrive at a scene and you see a child senselessly shot and killed because of the disregard and the total contempt for law. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, government is a gift to God for all of us today. And that's why we respect law and order. Anarchy is always worse than monarchy. Anarchy is always worse than democracy. But when you have anarchy, what ultimately happens is that leads to a dictator because eventually somebody begins to cry out for order. Eventually, somebody comes against the crowd. We got to get this thing under control. Eventually, people begin to rebel and they will listen to the flatterer who says that I can bring it all in order. It's why I believe, listen carefully, it's why I believe that anarchy is going to be the way. And if you went through Revelation with me, I showed you this. Anarchy will pave the way for the Antichrist coming to this world. This world is getting tired of terrorism. This world is getting tired of knowing whether you can get on a plane, a train, a boat, a bus, go to a restaurant, wherever you may travel, that somebody may walk in and blow you up all in the name of whatever creed they believe in. And it's not just religion. Sometimes it's politics. Sometimes it's just pure out evil that happens. And so we're living in dangerous days. My fear is that because there are so many foolish things and so many corrupt things happening in our nation that we've all of a sudden just thought to ourselves, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater, as my daddy used to say. Let's keep the baby and get rid of the dirty water. And I don't want to sound like I'm trying to clean up the swamp. That is not exactly at all what I'm saying. But let's go back to the Word of God and see what God says about God and government. So, 
however frustrated I may get from time to time, and look at me. Just let me be transparent. And I get frustrated sometimes. Anybody else get frustrated in here with government sometime? Be a good citizen. All governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly. It's God's order. God establishes government so there can be peace and order. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. For me, that begins every day. I pray for my, my wife, my partner. I pray for my children as a parent, my grandsons as a parent. I pray thirdly as a pastor. I pray for you. I pray fourthly as a pilgrim. I pray for somebody in our nation every single day. And then I pray personal prayers for my own needs. But then I begin to work my way through the government, and I pray for all of those in spheres of authority because it is so important. And that is a daily discipline that has served me well because I want to pray intelligently and not just mutter useless words as Jesus talked about. I read the papers. I read the news. I try to be aware of what's going on. I listen to sometimes ever how icky it gets to the political talk. I try to listen to the local talk of politics around here so that I know how to pray because peace and order are a gift from God. Say that with me. Peace and order are a gift from God. And if you've ever been where an anarchy reigns, you will really appreciate peace and order. So I, I, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. So some of you in here this week, I've already, I've asked God to help you. You turned in prayer requests. We've prayed over them every day at 11 o'clock. I've asked God to help you. And then he says, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. We give thanks for you as well. But then if that wasn't enough, Paul says to young Timothy, now listen, pray this way for kings. I'm supposed to pray for Nero that way? I'm supposed to pray for the president that way? I'm supposed to pray for a dictator that way? Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Read it with me. So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Did you know one of the ways that God measures your dignity and one of the ways God measures your godliness is not that you go on a horrible rant about government, and sometimes we do, or that you go on a horrible rant about anybody else, is but that you pray for them and you ask God to bless them and to help them. And it's the reason that when we close the service this morning, we will stand and we will pray for our president. We will pray for the Senate. We will pray for the Congress. We will pray for our governor. We will pray for our local leadership because we want to be a godly church. Can I get an amen? And we want to be a dignified church. Can I get an amen? Support it. No matter how much I disagree, I have to show respect. I'd like for you to listen to what John Calvin I disagree with a lot of Calvin's theology. I believe that whosoever will can come to Christ. But Calvin, just because I disagree with him doesn't mean that I don't find a lot of good in his writings. And if you've never read his writings, especially his institutes, they're a job to work through, but they are well worth the read, especially when it comes to government. It lays down, he's talking about this passage from the book of Mark. It lays down a clear distinction between spiritual and civil government in order to inform us that outward subjection does not prevent us from having within us a conscience free in the sight of God. Now stop. He's saying this passage, they hated this denarius coin. Why? Because it said Caesar is God. Okay? Remember, there was a revolt led. They hated this coin. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And even though they hated it, He's saying they could outwardly submit to giving the tax to Caesar using that coin as long as they inwardly stayed submitted to God. Now, you've got to balance that to understand. Those Christians would go to their death obeying the laws, obeying the laws, but they would not say with a pinch of incense, Caesar is Lord. And Caesar didn't care who they worshiped as long as they said, Caesar is Lord. All they had to say to be able to live was, Caesar is Lord and Jesus is Lord. They could have said that and lived. 
And some of us, we find it embarrassing to bow our heads and pray over our meal at a restaurant. And some of us are embarrassed to tell our friend about Jesus Christ. And some of us feel like we can't give God our tithes, and yet we love to sing and worship God. Friends, I want to tell you something. These early Christians understood something about godliness and dignity. We need to rediscover once again that the river of God may flow through us freely again. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? In short, Christ declares it's no violation of the authority of God or any injury done to his service if in respect of outward government, <coughs> the Jews obey the Romans. Now, I'm going to make what could be a controversial statement here. It's not a political statement. It's a morality statement. If we have a president elected in the next election, now this, you need to listen carefully. If we have a president elected in the next election, like one of the Democratic candidates who said this week, I found it insulting and I found it evil. When he said that Christians who did not approve, in, in essence approve or endorse gay marriage, that that was, in contra that was contrary to the teachings of Christ. I don't approve of murder, but I still love the murderer. I don't approve of stealing, but I still love the thief. There are a lot of things I don't approve of, but I still love people. But this same person will stand up and say something that God says is clearly wrong. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love that person. Doesn't mean that God doesn't care for that person. Jesus died for that person as much as he died for you and me. Doesn't make us better or other. But that was an evil statement to say, and then lift your hand and voraciously declare that you're all for the dismemberment of a human being right up to the day of birth inside of what should be the safest place in the world, a woman's body for her baby. You see, what has happened when suddenly we call what God says is wrong, when God says is wrong, we call that good, and what God says is evil, we call that right. Friends, we have got to come to terms. We're living in an age and a time where Christians cannot afford, afford to just sit around and be intellectually lazy and spiritually lazy. The times demand that you and I understand, like the sons of Issachar did, the times that we are living in, and use the freedom that we have to speak intelligently, use the freedom that we have to speak wisely and to speak lovingly what the Word of God says. I may not be culpable what the government does, but I am culpable for speaking out about what the government does. And by the way, just thank you. By the way, by the way, if this man is elected as president, I will still pray that God bless him. I will still pray that God will bless his family. I will still pray over him just like I have prayed for every other president. Does that make sense? It doesn't help us to hate Hate is what the devil wants us to do. It doesn't help us to cast stones. That's what the devil wants us to do. But it will help us to pray first and speak secondly. And I found out if I talk to Jesus about people first, I can talk to people a lot better about Jesus. Now let's give the Lord a hand of praise. This young man said to me, and I've heard this so many times, but Pastor Clanton... You cannot legislate morality. We do it every day of the week. The reason we don't murder is because it's immoral to murder. The reason we have divorce laws like we have was to protect women who were so taken advantage of. That's a moral thing. It's important that we understand where we're at in history today. This very passage that I read to you means that Jesus did not say I'll give whoever that's got that going because I can't compete with you. Everybody's looking at you. There you go. Thank you. All right. It does not mean, it does not mean that when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he is not saying we're out to build a new Old Testament Israel. That's not what he's saying. And recently I read a book, an interesting book. I won't give you the title because I, you know, it's just, not worth the time to read, but says that what we're supposed to be doing is reconstructing America in the image of Old Testament Israel, and that we're supposed to be a theonomy. And I read that, and I thought, hmm, there is an interesting time in history. I don't know if you know this. There is an interesting time in history when the church and the government were in bed together, 
And it didn't go good for either one. And it's what gave us the Inquisition. And it's what gave us some of those horrible wars that we have. We have overlapping spheres where we speak to one another. Does that make sense? So God, if Jesus wanted a new Israel right there, he could have said build a new Israel. But he says the church is the new Israel of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? We are the people of God. So you say, Pastor, what does that mean? We're more like the people that lived as exiles in Babylon. Remember when Jeremiah wrote to them? They were punished by God because of their breaking the laws of God. They were punished by God. God says he brought the Babylonians in. God brought the Assyrians in. God brought uh, Egypt in at times. God will use nations that are worse than the nation he intends to punish. That's what the book of Habakkuk is all about. Never forget, you can say what you want to say, Mr. Whoever you are, but God is still in control. And Habakkuk says, God will use a nation more wicked than we are to punish us. And he said, absolutely. And that's exactly what he did. It's the reason that when a nation's ways are pleasing to God, God will bless that nation. So we want to be salt and light in our nation. We want to pray for the orderliness of our nation. We want to pray for those in leadership. Because as long as there's order, we can continue to live and evangelize and share the gospel around the world. But if this ever collapses, as Hillary Clinton said in the last election, that evangelicals must be made, I quote, must be made to change their minds about marriage and abortion. If we ever collapse in that sort of thing, our freedoms will be severely limited and restricted in this nation. The Constitution was not designed to make me think any way or another. I can be an atheist. I can be a Jew. I can be a Hindu. I can be a Muslim. I can be a Mormon. I can be a nothing, whatever I choose to be, if I want to be, because the Constitution is built upon on the Old Testament law, you don't have to be a believer in order to be a part of a community of a nation or a state. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's the reason Muslims are not killed in America by Christians. That's the reason Christians don't go around killing Hindus. And yet, if I take you to India and other places, I can show you exactly where that happened. And when the church got in bed with government, the church even killed its brothers and sisters in Christ because they didn't think the way the government and the church wanted them to think. And that's exactly how the Antichrist will rule this world with a one-world religious system at the end of time. But instead, Jeremiah says, plant, build cities, pray for the peace and the welfare of the city, work for the welfare of the city. Listen to what Jesus said in John 18, verse 36. I'm going to skip that next quote because of time. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now let me address another, since I'm already in up to here. You see, as a Christian... We choose nonviolence to promote the way of Christ. But there is no conflict between my faith as a citizen if the government calls me up to serve in the army and serve my nation. You see, as a Christian, there is no conflict in my faith when I say all that's good comes from God. It is. All that's good comes from God. We gave him thanks for that at the start of this service this morning. In the first service, we did it just a little bit differently. We acknowledged not only God's goodness, but we acknowledged how that most of us in America have never known a lack since the Great Depression. We acknowledge that those who live in areas where there is a lack, that it's our responsibility to share with them. But as a Christian, I acknowledge that all good comes from God. But as a patriot and as a citizen, I also acknowledge the benefits of living in America. I was in one nation that I won't call its name, but I kept a journal for the three weeks I was there teaching and preaching. And every day I would write down my observations and the, the missionary who was on a non-religious, he was there as a worker, and the church was so nervous and said, please don't keep that journal. And I said, I, put, I showed it to him every day. I put no names, I put no places, just my observations because the journal would have gotten me arrested just for writing down what I observed. When I went through to be able to get on my plane, and this is before third world nations had all the technology that we've helped them to get and Western countries have helped them to get because of terrorism. 
<clears throat> I was just praying, Lord, please, because I had sheets of paper in my shirt. I had sheets of paper inside my pants. And I just said, Lord, please don't let me get body searched. I be, it was important that I have this recording that my mind wouldn't forget, that my children would have, and that those who get my journal when I die will have of my observations, what was happening in this nation, and the sufferings of the church, and the persecutions of the church, and what they've endured. As I walked out of there, the man looked at me, he smiled, he greeted me, asked me what I was doing. I told him honestly I was a teacher and what I was teaching, and he shook my hand, thanked me for coming to his nation, and though they were patting everybody else down, he didn't lay one hand upon my body anywhere, because if he had, he would have heard the crunching of paper all over me. You see, I'm telling you, there are benefits to living in America. There are benefits to living in this nation that go beyond highways and go beyond hotels and go beyond restaurants and go beyond music and entertainment. There are benefits of freedom that you and I take for granted every day. Look at me. You can marry who you want to marry. You can have the job that you want to have. You can live where you want to live. You can study what you want to study. You can think what you want to think. You can believe or not believe. That's the benefit of living in America. And as a citizen, I acknowledge that benefit because a higher authority has ordered that a lesser authority in the United States provide that benefit to every single citizen of the United States of America. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well? <laughs> Thirdly this morning, let's look at the scope of the church. For unlike the government, the body of Christ is universal in its scope. We are not tied to any one nation. I am a Christian American. I am not an American Christian. Does that make sense? I am a Christian American. I am not an American Christian. God's people are transcultural. We are transnational. And we are, listen to me, listen carefully, we are transdimensional because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that have already gone on before us, and they are praying and interceding for us today. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? That's powerful. No government can say that. Whenever a president or a king dies, whenever Donald Trump dies, whenever Queen Elizabeth dies, whenever Putin dies, they're going to all walk through the same gates of death that Job talks about in the Old Testament that you and I are going to walk through. The only difference is some are going to follow in the feet prints, the footprints of a bloody Savior who died for our sins and was resurrected on the third day. And if you can walk in those footprints because you have believed, you will live forever in heaven with our Lord and Savior. But if you have chosen to disbelieve, God gave you that freedom, you will live in a place of eternal torment called hell. That's what the gospel says. You say, pastor, how can that be good news? Because ultimately God's justice will prevail just as we sang in God bless America this morning. God's justice will prevail. And I saw Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great war, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You know, when I read that, I think about all of those who are there, who have been martyred for their faith. I think not only about the New Testament martyrs we live about, we read about, but I think of those martyrs that were put to death during the Protestant Reformation. I think of the Bible that you have in your hands that I'm reading from this morning, the man who was strangled to death, then his body burned, all because he wanted you to have the Bible, and the government didn't want you to have the Bible. But not one time did William Tyndale ever curse the king. Not one time did William Tyndale ever criticize the king. But William Tyndale chose to obey the laws of God rather than the laws of men when it came to being required to break the law of God. And the last recorded prayer we have of him was God opened the eyes of the king. You see, that's why I believe living in the United States, pastoring a wonderful congregation like you, 
living in a community where we're respected and loved and welcomed, where our church's name is periodically called out because of the good that you have done in this community. I believe I'm going to be far, far away from the throne compared to people like Tyndale who are willing to give it all and never curse their enemies, never curse the king, never let a rebellion, but prayed, God bless the king, and God opened his eyes. It's that kind of church that shakes the very foundation of hell. And finally this morning, and this leads me to what I want to say to you, is that my ultimate allegiance is to God. It's the reason, it's the reason that some time ago, I decided I couldn't belong to either political party anymore. Now that could be interpreted as a political statement, but hear me out. I decided that the name of God was being used and bantered about in a profane way. I decided that the more that I read the news and the more I heard people arguing and fussing about who was a Christian and who was not a Christian, what a Christian believed and what a Christian didn't believe, when someone stands up and says how much they love the Word of God and it says, in the book of Job, it teaches. You'll get it later. And I realize they're trying to flatter me. They're trying to flatter me because they know I believe the Word. Republicans and Democrats, they're trying to flatter me. They're trying to lay a snare for my feet because I am culpable for how I cast my vote. I am culpable in every election. And so to say, I don't like any of them, so I'm just not going to go home. I'm just not going to go vote. I'm going to sit here and watch football. You're not being Christian. Not in any way at all. You're being a jerk. You're not helping. You're somehow or another playing right into the devil's hands. I will never forget the tears on George Bush's face when those women in Iraq got the right to vote. I'll never forget the look on those women's faces, tears coming down their eyes with purple fingers. See, we just take it for granted. We just take it for granted. Because it's too much trouble to go stand in line. I remember civil rights. People were beaten for standing in line, but they stood in line to vote. I remember being in countries where people didn't have the right to vote. And they would say to me, Oh, if I could just come to America. If I could just come. America is a Christian country. Pastor Rick came back from the Memorial Day camp out and some Romanian Pentecostals were camping next to them. They were telling Pastor Rick, said, oh, we always dreamed of coming to America. America was a Christian nation. So when we got here, we found out America was more immoral than Romania was. Well, they have greater freedom here. I was teaching in Greece. I never forget one night a man said to me, he says, Oh, if I could just move to Texas, I want to live in Texas. I says, Why do you want to live in Texas? He goes, Because everybody's a Christian in Texas. Pardon me? I've been to Texas. Everybody's, I said, Why is everybody a Christian in Texas? We're drinking good Greek coffee. Kind you can stick a spoon in, it'll still stand up straight. He's got some of his coffee I don't have. He says, every ministry, and he was talking about wonderful ministries coming from Texas. Somebody asked me after the first service, did you disavow him of that nod? I said, no. I just let him go on with his fantasy. <laughs> we went a long time ago from being a Christian nation. I'm afraid that because we've listened to flattery, we may 
not be headed in the right direction anymore. And the future generations will look back upon us as the church and the body of Christ in America. And they will judge us not by the decisions we made, but by the direction we were headed. We've made tremendous progress in this country. We've made tremendous progress politically. We've made tremendous progress educationally, scientifically, and technologically. But we have come to a place where we are so divided. And it's a little bit deeper than what you may think. Because there is a rhythm within our nation over the last 50 years. I haven't preached on this in a long time, but some of you that have been around. And that's a postmodern thinking that says you can't know truth. Truth can't be found. That's opposed to the enlightenment way of thinking, of science that says truth can be discovered. And so we as Christians have to understand that for those people who say that truth can be discovered, we help them work their way through the Bible. We show them the prophecies. We deal with those deep things that only people who give time to thinking the deep thoughts and reading the scriptures. There's one man in our church came to me recently and says, could we have lunch together? I want to discuss mere Christianity with you. My little boy began jumping up and down inside because here was someone who had read a thoughtful book. A man on top of that says, I want to discuss this book with you. I want to know more. And, oh, you're here this morning and I can't wait. You're buying lunch, by the way, since you invited it. We're going to talk about mere Christianity. But then those postmodern people, you see, because they don't believe truth can be found, they value relationship. And you see, we can build relationships with them. I have all kinds of friends who are not Christians. I have all kinds of friends of other religions. I build relationships when I love them. I'm not interested in them being a mark on my gospel six shooter. I'm interested in loving them and them seeing Jesus in me because I believe the power of the indwelling river of God flowing through each and every Christian has the power to break down every wall, has the power to expose every lie, has the power to change lives. We are transformational people when we build relationships with one another. Amen. So, Pastor, how do you come to that conclusion? Because my ultimate allegiance is to God. this verse in Exodus 1.17. Because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. You don't know the story. You say, Pastor, what's that all about? Well, you know in the people's house, right in the middle, in the balcony, there's a relief of Moses. And every time the most powerful person in the world speaks, he looks up at the face of Moses. God had taken a teenager, like those kids in youth camp, who gave nearly $18,000 to speed the light, and suddenly ballooned into $75,000 God took this 17-year-old boy through a lot of trials, at 17, he had to start making choices whether to suffer for what was right or to give in to what was easy. This 17-year-old boy, God prepared because the worst famine the world had ever known at that time was coming to all the known world. God sent Joseph ahead and Joseph not only saved Israel in the Messianic line, Joseph saved Egypt. Joseph was the salt and light of Egypt. God brought Israel into that land. And about 400 years later, the nation had forgot all about Joseph. The nation had forgot all about the great things God had done. And they persecuted the people of God who had lost their faith in God. 
They persecuted the people of God who loved the comforts of the nation more than they loved God. And so God decided to deliver them again, and he gave them a little baby boy. Pharaoh, just like the devil always does in his hatred, Pharaoh ordered that every baby boy be killed. Can you imagine what would have happened? Without these godly Hebrew midwives, they were servants. They were, listen, they were not professionals. They were like the aides that have helped you in the hospitals. Because Egypt was filled with physicians and people of magical arts. But these midwives refused to obey Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh thought he was God too. And they chose to obey God rather than obey man. And another little baby was born. God delivered Israel. And the Messianic line continued. And then one day God sent another Savior. His name was Jesus. And again, Pharaoh, Herod, sought to kill all the baby boys again. But God warned them. And Jesus was taken. Where? Back to Egypt. Isn't it amazing how God even uses corrupt government sometimes? Jesus was taken back to Egypt in order to come back, to die at a cross for your sins and my sins. God used governments to accomplish not only his protection, but his crucifixion so that you and I could be saved by the blood of Jesus, so that you and I could follow in those bloody footprints through the gates of death that the book of Job talks about. And every time the most powerful man looks up, he understands this government was not founded on the ideas of human beings. It was founded upon the principles of freedom and equality that God has given us. And as long as we remember the higher authority has established the lesser authority, America can prosper and the church can go around the world and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise? Hallelujah. I could care less about your political persuasion this morning. But I care everything about whether or not you're like those midwives. Do you fear God? And have you chosen to serve His Son, Jesus Christ? Because one day, my knee, your knee, whether you believe or disbelieve, one day, every knee will bow and confess to the glory and the honor of the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.
I believe in you, Lord Jesus. And I confess with my mouth today to the glory and the honor of God the Father that you are Lord, that you died for my sins, and that you were raised again upon the third day. Forgive me for giving respect to others and honor to others and giving to Caesar what was Caesar's, but withholding from you what is truly yours. That's my whole life. So right now, I commit my life as much as I know how to
Give him a humble heart. Give him a meek spirit, I pray. May he not legislate in the interest of, Lord, the GOP or the Democrats, but may he legislate in the interest of the welfare of the United States of America. Lord, we pray for our governor, Gretchen Whitmire, today. God, we ask you, would you touch her wherever she's at? God, would you move in her heart? Jesus, I ask you to open her eyes to things she's never seen before. Give her a tender heart, a broken spirit, and a contrite spirit before you, Lord. May she grieve over sin. May she understand that, Father, that one day she, like all of us, will give an account to you for how they have used the authority given to them by both you and the people. Father, and now we pray, Lord, for our mayors and our township directors, for the township director of where we live, Lord, here in Brownstown. We thank you for Andy Lincoln. Lord, I thank you for his outspoken faith. I thank you, Lord, for his commitment to you. And I pray that you would bless Andy, God, that you would use him. I pray, Lord, for every mayor and township director, you would bless their families. Lord, that you would open their eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, finally, I pray for the church. As Barb Warren once said to me, Lord, when she was our city treasurer, our township treasurer, that when the church is being the church, the church is the greatest gift to the community. So I pray for us as a church, Lord. May we be the church, the church triumphant, the church without spot or wrinkle, the church humble before you and before one another, the church, Lord, who seeks to persuade by love and the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, the church who is the salt and the light, the church who feeds the hungry and clothes the naked, the church who visits the prisoner, Lord, the church, oh, Father, where the life and the love of Jesus Christ is being expressed through this I ask as we approach the celebration of the independence of the United States of America. God bless America. In Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said,